0: Good morning to all our UK column. I'm going to say viewers and listeners. But today we have essentially an audio interview with Dr. Vernon Coleman. And uh, there's a little bit of a first going on for the UK column in how we're setting this up. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that everything works. Okay. And uh, the other person I've got with me is uh, Debbie Evans, the UK column nursing correspondent. And we're going to have a chat And I think it's going to be very interesting. So first of all, welcome to Dr. Vernon Coleman. Thank you very much for agreeing to speak to us today.
1: Nice to talk to you, Brian. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, Vernon, it was a pleasure. And I was as I was driving in this morning, I was trying to think of uh, how long ago it was that you popped into the UK Column Studio to have a chat with Mike and Patrick and myself and I found it really difficult to pin down the date. How's your memory?
1: I haven't got the faintest idea. The whole last two and a half years has been a confused blur, which, of course, is not accidental. It's been um, a a roller coaster, which has been stuck. Um, And I don't think I can remember anything particularly. I suppose Christmas just about pops out. But the rest of it has been one long sequence of lies, deceits, confusions, chaos, fears, hopes, aspirations, all deliberately served up right from the very beginning, right from February, March 2020. They've been lying, deceiving, uh, covering up and trying to persuade us that things are happening when they aren't happening and that things aren't happening when they are.
0: I don't have any problem um what's the word agreeing with that one because it's 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 been like a blur over the last couple of years and um a little while ago I had an an interesting discussion with a very nice man who had come I thought a little while ago to fix the air conditioning system on my car He, he he comes with a van it's a very good service and uh Came, he came to the UK column and was working on the car while we were busy doing the UK column news but at one point I said to him well it wasn't that long ago you came and and sort of topped the system up and he quickly had a look at his phone and the next minute he was saying but Brian that was that was back at the beginning of 2019 and to <laughs> me to me that really put me in my box because I suddenly realized, yes, as you were saying, that two years had disappeared. Well, we we had a little bit of an email exchange uh, to set up our chat today. And I thought we should share part of this with the with the viewers and listeners. Um, So I had suggested to you that we should kick off with this. So this is the statement. We've had COVID lockdowns, vaccinations, The NHS is in turmoil, GPs are unreachable, the MHRA does not appear to be doing its job to protect the public. The future for health is health and security. And we're sitting here, the three of us today, so welcome to Debbie. The three of us are sitting here today and we've got well over 200 years experience on the planet. But we're in chaos. We, we look around us and we can see that we've got a we've got a country in chaos. Nothing's working. But the question is, was it always like that? And I'm going to say you are a man with a lot of experience in a great many areas. You you've obviously have your full medical qualifications. You've been doing a lot of research over the years. You've written many books. So I'm going to throw it back to you as part of this 200-year-plus group. What do you think is <laughs> happening?
1: It, it's, been, it's, it's all been deliberate. Nothing has happened by accident. But you can tell that easily by the fact that everything is happening the same time in countries all around the world. That never normally happens. I've been researching and writing about medicine and drug theory over, well, quite a bit over 50 years. But what has happened since the early part of 2020 has been un- is unprecedented. The, 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 the scare, the fake pandemic scare started uh, in the early 2020. And I remember writing a piece for my website, pointing out, and then doing a, a, a video, um, which was the most stupid thing I've ever done, getting involved in those. I did a, um, a piece pointing out that in a normal six month period, The number of deaths from the flu, the flu, the old-fashioned, unmarketed, unpromoted flu, can be, according to the World Health Organization, 650,000 in six months. That is not exceptional. That's that's what the World Health Organization says. And yet, in in February March, they were producing bizarre, uh, I think, figures that were, were quite um, out, out of this world. And the guy who was putting them forward, of course, Ferguson, had a terrible track record. It, it, most people with his track record, track record would have given up and done something else for a living. And it was patently clear that the, the pandemic that they were, talk, they were talking about were imaginary. They were part of this modeling nonsense. And so you had to think, why? And my, my view back then in... in February March 2020. That was that there were three things that they were going to try and do. They were going to um, try and kill off as many old people as they possibly could. They were trying to get rid of cash, because cash enables us to have a certain amount of privacy and freedom in uh, what we do. And the third thing that I, I said was that they wanted to introduce compulsory vaccinations, because they've been trying to do this for years, and if they could create a fake pandemic, and I, there's evidence that right from the beginning they knew it was a fake pandemic because the, the, the government actually the, the government has an advisory committee on dangerous pathogens, um, which is a group of public health bodies, and and in in or works with the public health bodies. And in March 2020, they were asked by the government to assess the seriousness of the coronavirus threat what it was called the coronavirus then. And they concluded that COVID-19 could be downgraded to the level of the ordinary winter. The evidence of that is on the government's website. There's a link to it on vernoncommon.com. If if more people had looked at that and trusted it and believed it, because that was the experts, there's no way the governments around the world would have got away with it. But two days, two days, Brian, after COVID-19 had been officially downgraded to the level of the flu, British government introduced the emergency bill, which they just happened to have lying around in a drawer, 358 pages, turning us into a totalitarian state and giving the government and the police completely unprecedented powers, including powers, and I've got this scorched on my brain, relating to restrictions on the use and disclosure of information, exactly the same thing happened in virtually every country in the world. The media were bought, with huge amounts of advertising expenditure everywhere in the world, so that freedom of the press disappeared. I was immediately demonized. Uh, My Wikipedia page was turned into a joke. Google started to um, attack me, and suddenly it became clear that this was... I mean, all these things, um, demonizations, happened for a long time, because I've been attacking Government health departments, MI, MHR, Ray and all the, um, for a, a long, long time. But it it accelerated, and everybody else who was speaking out got immediately um, silenced. Go away, shut up, you're talking nonsense. Even though we were just producing facts, the the figures, the the figures, the government's own figures show that the uh, the COVID-19 did not kill anywhere near the number of people they're claiming because they mixed up of and with. And they started saying that if you had COVID and you died of it uh, within 60 days, or if you were tested positive with an entirely useless discredited PCR test, if you had that test and then you died within 60 days, then you died of COVID, even if you were run over by a bus or had an axe buried in your head. The, the, The figures show that the number of people who died in 20 and 2020 and 2021 was almost exactly the same, almost exactly the same as the figures for the number of people who died in, of flu. I, I can remember these. In 2019, the number of flu deaths in England and Wales was about 26,000. You look at the number of people who died of and not with COVID-19, and that difference has been ignored and pushed aside for two and a half years now. The, 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 if you look at the figures, they're the same. They're, they're almost exactly the same. Not just in this country, not just in the UK, but almost everywhere in the world where the flu disappeared. Even the World Health Organization had to note the flu has disappeared this year, as though somehow it had been cured, or somehow the flu the flu bugs had all decided to go off on holiday to mars uh, yet another little piece of evidence which showed what a what a what a piece of nonsense they were creating and at the same time of course they immediately immediately even though they the government had just been told this is no more dangerous than the flu they immediately brought in lockdowns which were always going to kill more people and i know i'm not that's not in hindsight i said that in in um march and april the minute they said they were going to do lockdowns i said this is this is going to kill more people than covid will ever kill the lockdowns will destroy the health service they will destroy the economy and they will kill a lot of people that's what i said then and it has been proved absolutely right they they introduced social distancing which was a made up idea because in fact of course if you have the if you have a cold or the flu or whatever Um, the the bugs can travel 25, 30 feet, so the six feet was nonsense. They introduced masks, which at the time, two and a half years ago, both Witty and Fauci said, masks were just virtue signaling, they were useless. And they're not only useless, of course, they're actually dangerous because they're massively increasing bacterial pneumonia. They will increase the number of people suffering from cancer. And since when you've got cancer, you can't get treated because there's no health service in this country anymore. They, 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 They brought in all these fact checkers around the world who were, who were, well, most of them haven't got O level woodwork, and they just produced piles of gibberish uh, in which they 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 are abusive and and try to say that anything that uh, criticises the the government line is is fake. The the media, the the media, television, the BBC particularly, which has been beyond contempt for. for for the last two and a half years, and the the mainstream media have been supported entirely of the government, which is, coincidentally, their main source of advertising money. And on top of all this, of course, we had all the the slow build-up to net zero and the, the nonsense about global warming. And if you go back to the 1960s, you can find that global warming, it was decided that since having too much in the way of wars, a la Orwell, they would have something uh, about climate change to terrify people. Um, there are meetings about this. It's all on record. They would have—they so would create something. They would say that the climate was changing because of things that mankind had been doing. I nearly said men then, and then we'd have been in real trouble. The, the, the The things that mankind had been doing had created this this global warming. They they said they would do, which is what they've done, of course, creating a fake scare which would enable them to do all sorts of things, including uh, trying to outlaw fossil fuels, although now I think they've said that gas is a natural, natural supply of energy, so that's all right. And of course, chopping down trees bringing them across the Atlantic and burning them. That's natural as well, so that's okay. But the reason, of course, that they wanted to get rid of people using uh, oil is because the the darn stuff's running out, and they want to keep as much as they they possibly can, the tanks and planes and and, uh, those huge yachts which the billionaires are, are floating around the world. All of this is building us up into a position where in conjunction with the abolition of cash, we're moving into social credit, which is the nightmare, the absolute nightmare. And we have not got long, Brian, it is moving very, very fast. People have no idea. Most people just think, oh, paying for my coffee with a flash of my card, that's wonderful. They think that all the things that are being done, smart meters, Smart meters, are free electricity, were always going to be a major way for the government to control you. And lo and behold, the other day, people were saying, oh, I'm not going to pay my electricity bill. And the electricity company says, well, that's fine. You don't have to pay your electricity bill. If you don't want to, that's fine. We'll just cut you off. You've got a smart meter, hard luck, Well, you, you, you won't get any electricity unless you pay us in advance. The smart meter, the people who accepted smart meters into their homes are now... on on the third or fourth rung towards being controlled in the social credit system, where if you say something which is not approved, then you're in trouble. If your relatives or or neighbors do things which are not approved, then you're in trouble. And they have created this system where people are now being encouraged to snitch and sneak on their neighbors. This is uh, um, something that's been done in China since they introduced social credit in about 2014. But they, the other day, for example, the police were saying, please don't ring us anymore more about um, hosepipes, about your neighbours using their hosepipes, because it's nothing to do with us, it's the water people. And by the way, there isn't actually a hosepipe ban in much of the country anyway. People were, are now so um, placed in a position that they're determined to dob in everyone around them. The cyclists with the little cameras boasting about the number of motorists that they've got into trouble. The new laws on motoring, which are make it almost impossible for a guy to go out on the roads these days in a car, sorry, a guy or a woman to go out on a car, in a car these days without breaking the law. Because you've got to give a cyclist five foot clearance. And a lot of roads in Britain are no more than 14 feet wide. If you take a car and a cycle and the five feet, you've got to allow That means that if there's a cyclist going along a country road, you have to travel behind that cyclist until they reach their destination. All of this, and the cycle lanes, all of this is a lunacy which is designed to control us as part of the social credit system to make us frightened of each other, to make us um, antagonistic uh, towards one another, to divide men and women, to divide young and old, to divide able-bodied and disabled-bodied, to divide um, people by 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 um, sexuality, by any any anything they can do to divide us, they will do. The whole Black Lives Matter um, thing was designed to create more tension, more anger, more more schisms. They, they want to actually control us by making us frightened. They want to make us frightened so that we will do exactly what we have been told to do, which is what's been happening for the last two and a half years. People have accepted absurd experimental jabs, which never did what they were supposed to do and were never safe. And yet thousands of doctors have been giving them, and all they've ever argued about is how much money they're going to be given to give them. So now the DNA, which wants a thirty percent pay rise, which is even more than the criminal barristers, who only want twenty-five percent pay rise, which will push up inflation way beyond anybody's idea of control, always, always predictable. Eighteen months ago, I said the only way this is going to end is with massive inflation. And then they'll have to push up interest rates higher than the rate of inflation, because that's the only way to bring it down. Inflation is going to be 18% by the new year. Even the Bank of England now admits that. And they've been saying for months, there's no such thing as inflation. Don't worry about it, children. The inflation is going to come in massively. They're going to have to push interest rates up. How many people in this country can afford to pay their mortgage when their interest rates are 20%? That they want to control people to the point where nobody has their own home. Remember the quote? You will own nothing and you will be happy. They want to get people out of their homes. They want to get people um, living in little flats in city centres. They don't want people living in the countryside. What a big coincidence that the buses are not going to be run. They're closing down bus services in rural areas. What what an amazing thing it is that the, the economy all around the world happens to be collapsing at exactly the same time. And all the trade unions are pushing and pushing and pushing for massive pay rises which will result in inflation going even more and out of control. And you've only got to look to see what happened in Germany um, for the Second World War to see how, what an enormous impact in, uh, massive inflation can have on how our society operates. And I'm sorry, I've been talking too long. I do apologize. <laughs> I just get so angry about the way things have happened. I'll shut up
0: well Vernon don't don't apologize because the whole aim of um, getting you here with us today is to get you talking and of course what you've done is provided um, a very astute summary uh, of all the things that you see and of course you're you've been able to see these things um, due to your life experiences over a great many years and your professional background but this is a key thing isn't it that that I'm going to say all of us, I'm talking about the three of us here today, we are old enough to have seen considerable change in the world. So we have, we have an advantage over younger people that we can actually think back to uh, our earliest days. And when we do that, we can remember a world that was different from uh, the environment we're in. And in your overview there, I'm going to come back a little bit onto the uh, health matters. But in your overview, you've taken us across a whole spectrum of things where life has changed. We've already said that over the last couple of years, it's almost been a blur, the the change and the turmoil has been so incredible. But ultimately, what you see coming in is an, uh, an extremely controlled society um, where we are not going to be able to live free, independent, happy lives because the state is going to control everything we, I was going to say everything we own and everything we touch, but you're right, we're not even going to be allowed to own things. So we've we've got a tremendous change coming in. And the fact that it's happening simultaneously in more than one country means that this has to be part of an agenda a political agenda which is much bigger than one nation state. So the policies coming to uh, coming into um, enactment in UK, um, these have got to come from a ultimately a power base which is which is manifesting on a global scale. So I I I think you've you've immediately um, set out for people exactly what we're we're facing, which is huge change and ultimately we're not going to be able to own anything the government is going to control everything about us and our lives and uh, for me that's one of the reasons why i think they're so heavily focused on our children but i wonder if we can just pop back a little bit because um, you started off there by focusing on the i'll call it the scam of covid 19 and all the policy that subsequently took place But I I wonder whether I can just read a little bit of a paragraph that I found on your website, and I found it particularly poignant. I'm sure you'll remember it very clearly, but it's this. The killing of the elderly started years ago with a murderous Liverpool care pathway. And then the United Nations made it easy for governments to kill off citizens over the age of 70. Then do not resuscitate notices flourished. Then government slaughtered the elderly, but the thousands with the midazolam murders. Today in the UK, doctors are legally allowed to kill anyone who cannot look after themselves. If you doubt me, read my article on this website. That's your own website to take it entitled, Have you been put on a death list? The UK government ruling is that anyone who is mildly frail and may need help with heavy housework, shopping and preparing meals can be left to die if they fall seriously ill. Check it out if you don't believe me. Now, this is an area that the UK column started to report on uh, many years ago. And we've had uh, interviews with people who've uh, had relatives who've gone through this horrific system. What you're describing in this paragraph is a government, which it seems to me is at war with its own people. If the government's agenda is to kill off the population in UK, then the immediate enemy we've got is our own government. What, what would you say to that?
1: Absolutely, I, I, I agree with you. I've been saying um, since the start that this was the, the, our, our enemy was the government. We're at war with the government. They have faked the war. They built the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, deliberately, that was deliberately manufactured in order to help um, create food and energy problems, which will incidentally result in hundreds of millions of deaths in Asia uh, and Africa because of the shortages of food and energy. That was not. Uh, that's no accident. That's no coincidence. They are at war with the governments. All around the world are at war with their people. Uh, in the UK, our government is definitely at war with us. The elderly are regarded as worthless and expensive because they have to pay pensions to old people. And because they, um, they say, well, you're not working, so you're useless. Go away. We don't want you. Let's, uh, we... And, and they're encouraging young people to think the same thing about the elderly. Instead of thinking we can learn from the elderly, they're thinking how do we get rid of these um, silly old, old old people who are just a nuisance a and a, a, a great deal of money, um, a, a drag on the health service. Well, they've been killing old people for years in the health service, but now it's really accelerated. And the DNR notices, which they're slapping on whole communities of people, and which um, they're they're doing very often without even asking the the relatives, which by law they're supposed to do, but they're not asking, they're just putting the DNR notices on, or they're killing with um, the benzos, midazolam, and morphine cocktails, or they're killing... uh, This has been going on. You're absolutely right. This has been going on for a long, long time. Um, One of my first books back in the... 70s was about, um, it was called the Beginner's Guide to Old Age, been out of print for about 50 years, I think. But, the, mm-hmm. but what, one of the things I was arguing there was that old people have been pushed aside, they have been fragmented um, uh, away from the rest of society, and that's all part of it. That's well, We've been encouraged to denigrate the elderly and to applaud. The drug companies, the drug companies are the most evil corporations in world history. They make Pablo Escobar was a decent, nice chap compared to the people who work for the big uh, pharmaceutical companies. You can say you, you can't. I, I, some years ago, came to the conclusion. You can say what you like about these people because they couldn't possibly ever sue you because they're so corrupt. That it would all come out of court. If you look back over the last just 50 years. The amount of money that the big drug companies have paid in fines for fraud and for cheating and for lying is, is phenomenal. Absolutely. I mean we're talking many billions of dollars. and the number of the amount of money which has been paid out um, in, in damages to people who've been uh, badly injured by vaccines, That's also phenomenally high and also runs into billions of dollars, but nobody knows about it because it's all kept very secret. In the UK, for example, they have a lid on what you can claim from the government of 120 grand. If you've been brain damaged by a vaccine of any sort, uh, something which happens with tremendous regularity, you get 120,000 quid on your way, Sonny. That's all you're going to get. This is all part of the system of control where a corrupt few people, and I hate saying this because I know that a lot of people who who listen will think, oh, he's gone barking, he really is a conspiracy theorist. It's not, it's real. Look at what's happening in China where they collect information about every individual. They collect information and they put it on apps. They collect information from your school, your workplace, your bank, your Hospital, the police, libraries, supermer- supermarkets, your internet platform, uh, your travel companies, about where you go, and all this information is collected together. Stop and think that's exactly what's happening in the UK. They're just accelerating it very quickly. Oh, get on this new app. It's wonderful. This new app will look after all your money for you. This new app will collect all your passwords together so they're all in the same place. And the idiots sign up for it. Oh, I've got this wonderful app. It'll look after my money for me. I've got this little card. I just wave it at the till and I can buy my my, my coffee with it. It's gone mad, Brian. It's well, absolutely insane.
0: Uh, Vernon, that's, no, no, that's that's uh, a perfect introduction. I was keen to uh, bring Debbie into the conversation and of course uh, one of the things that debbie has been alerting people to uh, is the fact that if we look where health is going it's very much to an um uh, information and security over and above what we will call care within a a loving health system so debbie over to you but i think we've touched on on a key thing here which is um, what was the NHS and where is it going?
2: Oh well, I mean, honestly, there's there's just so much to unpack in 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 what Dr. Coleman's just said there. I mean, I'm like breathless with it. Uh, where is common sense gone? Um, where's TLC gone, tender loving care, and and you know everything that he said about elderly people. I would encourage everybody to go and look. At Mrs. Caldecott's Cabbage Wars, which is the most amazingly beautiful, poignant film probably that I've ever seen. And, and I'm not saying that just because we're speaking now, uh, Vernon, um, but really I watched it. Pauline Collins, John Alderton in 2002. Everything that you've just touched upon with regards to elderly people, how they are treated, how they're treated by young people, how they're treated once they're in within a care home um, is very poignant to today. So, you know, I'm I'm looking very hard at where the NHS was when I was trained in, in 1976, when patient contact was all important, when tender loving care was all important, when basic nursing care was all important. All seems to have been completely eliminated um, completely changed and the NHS now I believe is a dangerous place to be and I never thought as an NHS trained nurse because I was proud of my uniform, I was proud of my position, um, I enjoyed my job, I loved looking after people and now seemingly you go into a hospital and you don't know who you're talking to, you don't know whether it's a doctor, a doctor, an associate, an an HCA, we don't know who we're talking to anymore. And and what you were saying with regards to flu, um, you know, you're quite correct, flu somehow flew off. But we must remember in 2017, I think 2018, there were 50,000 excess deaths from a faulty jab, Um, but nobody put masks on then. Nobody was social distancing then. And yet now, today, as I'm speaking, we seem to be living in an age where the NHS seems to be ruling all of us because um, my son had to go to a hospital quite recently, was told to social distance, walk on one side of the corridor, wear a mask. None of this has been announced by the government, and yet we all seem to be beholden to the NHS. And I just wondered what your views are now for people that have to go to the NHS and they're frightened because I know a lot of them that are frightened. Do you feel that the NHS is a safe place for anyone to go to?
1: I I don't think we have a health service in the UK anymore. It's disappeared. It's been destroyed. It started to be destroyed way, way back when they got rid of, when, when they introduced appointments for GPs and when GPs stopped working 24 hours a day. That's the the main reason why hospitals, are in, hospital casualty departments, are in such a mess, of course, is that GPs work librarian hours. Um, the, the, the BNA has said that, that, that we have to cut back um, the amount of um, money and energy that goes into looking after the uh, people with too many tests and too many uh, treatments because of climate change. I couldn't believe that when that came out, but doctors are now insisting on doing everything by video. What they don't realize is that they're putting themselves out of business because there will be no doctors, because robots and computers can do everything a doctor can do if you don't actually sit in the same room. They've lost the placebo response, which, as you know, used to give an uplift of about 30% to the effect of whatever treatment the doctor was prescribing. Um, the the elderly have been left to one side, and thank you very much for the kind comments about Mrs. Calder. I wrote that back in the 90s, back in the 90s when it became... Apparent that the elderly really needed voice to to stand up and and, uh, fight back at a community, at a world—not a community, a world where they had been exiled. um, What's what's happened now is that the health service has been utterly destroyed. Utterly destroyed. There is effectively no GP service. Per se is why there are now these huge 16-hour waits in casualty and why there are uh, uh, several hours to wait for an ambulance. This would not be, in a third world country, The Guardian would be having front page stories about this every day. But at the moment, The Guardian, of course, has a part of the government's voice. And so they don't, uh, none of the mainstream media really care or understand what's happening or how bad it is and how many people are dying in hospitals or dying because they can't get into hospitals or because they're not being treated because, uh, what is it, 7 million people on waiting lists at the moment, anybody who's on a waiting list is on a waiting list because they need treatment. That that, that figure's gonna reach 12, 13 million before before the next, before the year is out or get into 2023. Though that is going to make a massive increase to the mortality figures this year, far more people are now going to be dying, which of course is part of the depopulation plan, but far more people are going to be dying because of the fact that we don't have a health service. People uh, are being encouraged to look after themselves, there's no dental service, there's been no dental service effectively for years. Uh, they're now saying, oh, you don't need to go and see your dentist every six months, every two years will do fine, every 10 years, every 20 years. Why not just go once in your lifetime? The the problems uh, of the health service have been created within the health service because doctors no longer care. Doctors have been... The only thing doctors have said as a group, uh, the British Medical Association, the trade union um, for doctors, the only thing they've said about... Um, vaccines and the problems with all the deaths and the fact that it doesn't work the only damn thing they've said is we want more money we're only going to get 10 quid for giving a jab we want 12 we want 14 quid every time they give a jab i worked out that the average gp in the uk made between 50 made between 50 and one hundred thousand pounds a year in the last two years for giving covid jobs. That's on top of the 100 grand, whatever it is they get for a a week, which is now the average GP works 26 hours a week. 26, I was a GP, 26 hours a week, almost 26 hours a day. 26 hours a week is obscene. And yet they're still getting over 100,000 a year, plus the 50 to 100,000 they get for giving jabs, which do no good, but which may kill you. And the the British Medical uh, Association's Only response. The General Medical Council is only concerned if you speak out about the the jabs. If you say anything critical about COVID and the government's policies, then you will be in front of the General Medical Council and they strike you off. The, The General Medical Council and the BMA don't give a damn about the fact that people are dying because of these jabs sudden adult death syndrome, what's it caused by? Is it eating too much marmalade? Is it because the sky's in the wrong place? Is it because the television programs aren't funny enough? Or could it conceivably be possible that millions of people have been given an experimental drug which has never been adequately tested and which is now going to be given, again, they wanted to be able to give the new variety without any testing because we did a few tests on some animals in the first place and it might be that should be okay, shouldn't it? Well, I'll tell you something about drug companies companies in the world. When they do experiments on animals, it's a no-win situation. If they give a drug to an animal and the animal dies, they say, well, it doesn't matter because animals are different to people. I can name you and in fact, on my website, there's a list of 50 drugs which are, which are happily prescribed for people but which either kill with cancer or heart disease if you give them to animals. They don't care about that. They don't care about the fact that the animals die because they say animals are different. They use animal experiments to get drugs past the regulators. And the regulators, well, what can you say when you've got the MHRA receiving £980,000 from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Here's another £980,000. Thanks for doing a good job. They gave it to them for collaboration. Collaboration, what a wonderful word word that is, Brian, that you you put right at the beginning, that the elderly know about these things because we've experienced stuff. We know we can look back. We can see mortgage rates at 17%. We can see all the terrors of the past. The kids don't know that. They only know what they're taught in schools. And if you once you start going on to education and the corruption of education, that's another thing altogether, and how, as you, as you said, children have been um, corrupted, they've been misled, they've been misinformed. But the whole of society has been deliberately destroyed in the nature, uh, preparing us for the great reset, and I reckon time is running out very, very fast.
0: Uh, Vernon, I completely agree with that. So we've got um, sort of two jobs to do. One, we've got to inform people who are still unaware of these things. And the second job that we have to do is, is to, I think, to be encouraging people to stand up, to be counted, to do something about it. Because if enough people stood up to say, no, we're not having this, enough people, I'm talking about millions of people, we could we could make massive change very quickly into this agenda so um, our discussion i hope is going to do both those things but you just mentioned mhra and and i'm going to throw it back to um debbie again because she's been uh she has been reporting on the fact that having collected um data on vaccine adverse reactions under its famous yellow card system the MHRA now appears to be gently saying, well, we don't want any more data. Or maybe it's worse than that, is it, Debbie?
2: It does seem to be worse than that. And I'm wondering, actually, um, if the yellow card it was just a, a smokescreen. Um, it was just a system that's been put out there that they're paying lip service to, because it would appear to me, that the yellow cards are going absolutely nowhere. No one's taking any notice of them, or if they are, it's only for pharmaceu- the, the pharmaceutical industry's good or medical research good, but certainly not in, in the patient's best interest. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about um, the elderly, and we've been talking about the MHRA, and we can see that the data on the MHRA is now only coming out once a month and it was scant and inaccurate all along. We know that they've been inputting wrong data and now we believe that the yellow cards have actually been binned um, and that nobody's taken any notice of them at all. And what worries me hugely, specifically with the MHRA data, is we're not getting any data on children and young people. So the ages are omitted. And I mean <laughs> You know, Vernon, I, 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 I'm, I'm. Luckily, my mother didn't take thalidomide. Um, but I am of the age where, if she had have done, I may not be sitting here now as I am now. And the yellow card system was set up for thalidomide. And since then, we've been looking at all sorts of different medications, including up recently sodium valparate, mesh and the infected blood scandal and we don't seem to have learned any lessons from the Cumberledge report or any lessons from the past at all because clearly people that have had this injection and and, and I wanted to ask you too um, as as well what your interpretation of this word vaccine is because clearly this injection is anything but a vaccine um, but we're not getting any data on young Young children, babies, unborn babies, the effect it is having on pregnant women. And and since when, in in my day when I was training and your day too, since when did we ever experiment on children and pregnant, pregnant women? You know, this is, this to me is democide.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you. They, 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 they've never done an experiment of this size, normally a vaccine, a traditional vaccine, and the stuff they're giving for COVID isn't a vaccine. But on a traditional vaccine, they, they, it takes about 12, 15 years to get on the market because it has to go through various, various hoops. The problem, the problem is the same as the problem has always been. If you go right back to the Committee on Safety of Medicines, if you go back all the time over the last decades, almost. Everyone, almost everyone involved in the control of drugs has links with the drug industry. The drug industry controls the medical establishment, and they control the uh, the, the committees and the groups. You look at the number at the people who are on there. The Valance, who's the chief scientific officer, he worked for GSK at a time when they were doing terrible things. But they always do terrible things, so that's no change. Um, you look at Whitty, who who, who had. Uh, his, his, his job was working with um, money that was coming from Bill and Melinda Gates before he became a chief medical officer. Uh, you, you look at all the people who were involved on all of these committees, all the doctors who were involved on all these committees, and you say, do you have any links? Oh, well, of course I, have, I, do, I do. I do consultancy work for the drug companies. Yes, of course I do. You can't have people who are um, policemen who are also robbing houses. You can't have the people who are sitting on these committees to try to decide whether drugs are safe or not if they're actually also taking big money from drug companies and yet please somebody find me find me a person on one of the government's advisory health committees who has never taken any money from a drug company. You you, you can't. They 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 just the links the, the drug companies. I'll tell you something about drug companies very quickly. When I f- wrote my first book in '75, it was called The Medicine Men, and it was about the um, the way that the uh, drug industry had uh, taken over the medical establishment. It was a way. It was about the fact that doctors had become detail men for drug companies. They were the marketing business of drug companies. 1975. The book caused a furor, the BBC made a huge program about it, The Guardian bought serial rights about it, and a drug company guy came into my consulting room, because I was working as a GP at the time, a drug company guy came into my consulting room, he said, Dr. Coleman, we're very interested in your new book, Um, Medicine Man, and I thought, oh gosh, what's he going to do, hit me, kill me or what? And he said, what we'd like to do is we'd like to pay you for go on a uh, a tour of the country to talk about your book to doctors and to lay people all over the place. We'll pay all your expenses. We'll pay your hotel fees. We'll pay you a fee um, so that you can promote your book, Attacking the Drug Industry. This was a drug industry guy. And I said, you're mad. What are you talking about? I don't want your money. Go away. And. With some surprise, he went away. And I sat and thought, what the devil was going on? Why did he want to give me money to promote my book? And of course, the answer was, he wanted to buy me. The idea was, well, this book, The Medicine Men, is going to be gone in a year or two. But if we, this guy could be a danger to us, we will buy him. And that's how they do it. They buy people. They don't care how much it costs. And charities get bought all the time. Or most of the big, I nearly said all, but most of the big charities, it may, it? most of the big charities do a lot of work with drug companies. And when you look at their leaflets at the back on the bottom in little print or big print, it'll say supported by the very kind generosity of such and such a drug company. And then inside the leaflet, you'll find them promoting one of the company's products. Because what happens is it works very simply you start a little charity for patients who are all suffering from, I don't know, dandruff or some disease, and you start this charity called People for Dandruff or People Against Dandruff. And the drug, and you've only got um, a few quid, and you do it in your dining room off the table, and you make some leaflets which you copy on a machine. And then the drug company comes along, uh, and it says... Um, oh, this is terrible, you're having to work so hard to save people. Let us give you some money so that you can rent an office. Let us give you some money so you can get your leaflets properly printed. And bam, bam, bam. before you know where you are, the little charity, which have well, well-meaning people, is owned by the drug companies. And that, I fear, is what will happen to people in the um, what I call the resistance movement. People have to be aware of this. Watch out. Do not ever let the drug companies in through the door because they will give you they will give you money to talk about things. They will give you money to sponsor your programs. They will give you money to help with your videos. They, you want to have a conference to talk about the horrors of the vaccines, the drug companies will give you some money so that you can hire a nice hall and get some good equipment and pay for people to, to, to go to there. You have to watch out because the drug companies are corrupt in a way that Al Capone never imagined. The drug companies get their fingers into everything. Um, And if I sound paranoid, it's because I've been doing this for a long time. I've had stuff stolen. I've had writs. I've been threatened. I've been sued. I know how the drug companies operate. And believe me, it's not nice. And they are in control of uh, the government and the way um, products are being used. And it's the drug companies who are making the billions of pounds out of these wretched jabs, and the drug company bosses, I remember one of them wrote and said, when I went into a restaurant, everyone stood up and clapped. The people should have stood up and thrown their cutlery at him, not clapped. And these bloody people who are making these jabs and are being treated, have a damehood, have a knighthood, wonderful. Have a best-selling book. Wonderful. You've done amazing work. You've saved the world. What? Saved the world? How many? Because you see these figures and they say 20 million people have died of COVID. Actually, what? Where did they get that from? Why wasn't it 200 billion people? Why wasn't it the entire planet? Why wasn't it all the Martians and the Venusians? It's crazy. They just make this stuff up. And the, 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 the fact that the jabs have actually um, killed and maimed so many people, they don't care about that because this is a business. Drug companies are not in the business of helping people. They don't want to keep people alive. If they had a wonderful way of stopping people falling ill, they would hide it. And in fact, um, I'm working on a piece because it's a very simple drug which is, which helps to protect people against cancer. But the drug companies and the charities don't want you to know about that um, because, well, if people don't fall ill. How the hell are we going to make any money? Mm. The, the the corruption in the world of medicine, I'll tell you something else about corruption in medicine very, very quickly. When I was a young house surgeon, uh, the consultant surgeon went away on holiday and he had quite a long waiting list. And the, the the registrar and I worked very hard and we got rid of his waiting list uh, of people did all the operations, caught up with everything. And when he came back, um, we, we were really full of ourselves. And the registrar said, we've cleared the waiting list, Mr. and um, We've got rid of all your patients that were on the waiting list. So anybody who comes into our patients tomorrow, you can do the operation on Friday. You know what the consultant surgeon said? He said, you've just destroyed my private practice. People only go and see me privately because of the waiting list. You have destroyed my private practice. Get out of my sight. That is the attitude that has been part of medicine since they allowed doctors in working as consultants to work part-time as consultants.
0: Vernon, if I may, I've I've got to come in because I'm listening to that and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that's such a simple thing that you've explained there. And um, I'm I'm thinking, wow, now I understand because that one is, is just so, It's crystal clear. While there's a waiting list, you can run private practice.
1: Here's an odd thing for you. Waiting lists are almost unknown in all the other countries in the world. Almost unknown. You say to people, gosh, say somebody in Germany, picked off the top of my head, you say to somebody, I've got to wait um, uh, nine months to have my operation. And they sort of look at you and fall over because there are no waiting lists anywhere else. Waiting lists are pretty well unique, or they weren't, pretty well unique to the UK. where we have this bizarre system where consultants negotiated a a, a deal whereby they could work nine elevenths of their time for the National Health Service, and the rest of their time they could work for the private hospital, which they probably own as well. So they're getting the money from the hospital, and they're getting the big fee because the patient doesn't want to wait nine months or a year or two years or whatever it is to have an operation that they desperately need. Corruption, Brian, it's all down to corruption, and the service is about as corrupt as you can get.
0: Yeah. De- Debbie, do you, do you want to respond to that one? And then I'll, I'll come back in. I've got a, f- a few thoughts on uh, um, some of the other things that uh, Vernon has been talking about.
2: Yeah, I ab- absolutely do. And thank you, because quite clearly what we're seeing now, today, is ever growing waiting lists. I mean, I think we're at six or seven million at the moment with a prediction to go up to 10 to 15 million. And I know quite a few people, many who are are victims of, of serious adverse reactions, who are now being forced to go privately. They're being forced into the private sector. And I've noticed, you know, spam emails coming in all of the time do you want this pri- a private GP? Do you want private insurance? And, and I can see from the NHS long-term plan that what they're intending to do is to ration NHS, or as they call it, NHS, we know it's destroyed, but to ration NHS care for those that are most vulnerable and that live in poverty, while anybody with any means will be forced, if you like, to go down the private uh, line because they simply can't wait on the ever-growing NHS waiting list. So I can see just, and then like you, Brian, you know, suddenly that the the light bulb moment has gone on. Of course, you need to have these waiting lists in order to create private practice. Um, So that, yes, I can see where this is now completely rolling forward. And going back to these jabs, you know, we've got already plenty of evidence that these jabs kill people, but we don't have any hard evidence to say that it stopped anybody from dying as a result of COVID. So we are being manipulated into normalising the government data as being correct. And what scared me most is how quickly we've become Sort of geared up to accept that we have to walk six foot away from someone we have to wear a mask because it's protecting someone else since when did anybody have to take anything to protect their granny their friend or the nhs you know if you take something to protect yourself then it's for yourself it's not to protect the nhs but if i might just come back and ask vernon if he would just give a very maybe brief resume of what i thought was priceless Um, in in his many, many writings, and that was Coleman's laws which quite clearly I think we should all be taking notice of and and maybe we should have them ingrained and every doctor should have Coleman's laws um, written in in front of them. So would you like to refresh us, Vernon, on Coleman's laws? There's
1: 12 of them. Um, the, The first one is the most important. If you are taking a medicine, a prescribed or something you bought, if you're taking a medicine or an illness and you then develop new symptoms, then Coleman's first law is that uh, if you acquire fresh symptoms, the fresh symptoms and new symptoms are caused by the treatment for the first set of symptoms. That's Coleman's first law of medicine. very few doctors seem to understand it or to be aware of it. Uh, the, the other laws are about tests um, and investigations and so on and so on. For example, you, you shouldn't have um, the, the only point in doing tests if you think the test is going to change the way you treat the patient. There's no point in doing tests unless there's a, unless there's a, an end result that will be of value, because all tests and investigations are potentially damaging. Um, Potentially dangerous people people, especially now, when they have they, they, they have all sorts of people doing venipuncture, phlebotomy used to be an art, but nowadays um, people doing it who are not doctors, they're far too busy they're not nurses because they're far too busy i 'm sorry Debbie, but the, the, the blood taking is being, the, the venipuncture is being done. It seems to me by anybody who wanders into the surgery and doesn't have a mopping bucket in their hands at the time. And instead of, you know how it is when, you, when you're when you taking a blood sample, you slide the, the needle along, you don't plunge it down. Because if you go down, you cause a, a, a huge hematoma. But that's what they're doing. Doctors are, uh, uh, two things that occurred to me just off, off the top of my head. First is that doctors are threatening to go on strike because they want their People shouldn't be too frightened of that, because every time doctors have gone on strike in the past, anywhere in the world, the number of people dying has fallen. And the other thing is that I now think, uh, I believe I could probably prove, um, the NHS is worse now than it was in 1950, and uh, certainly that it's worse than it was in 1970, in almost every respect, apart from the obvious diseases. Available drugs, but remember we had antibiotics back in the fifties and the seventies, and antibiotics were a damn sight more effective then because they hadn't been used and overused largely by farmers because their animals creating a huge amount of resistance. Final thought about the NHS is that I now believe that the NHS is killing more people than it's that is scary.
0: Yeah, um, Vernon, if if I can just come back in, we we. I think quite rightly focusing on matters to do with health but a lot of what we're talking about physical health Uh, but of course the other area of health that suddenly or suddenly over recent years in particular we've got a major problem is with mental health and I've been interested for some time at the fact that amongst the chaos and the turmoil which is our daily lives as a result of all the policies and bills and laws that the government is throwing at us, which of course includes such things as mask wearing and social distancing. We've got this increase in mental health, but we've also now provably got a government that is prepared to use applied behavioural psychology in order to change the way we think and behave. That's what the British government's behavioural insights team uh, has been tasked with. And it's been the COVID-19 pandemic, which has shown that the government has been prepared to use this, I'm going to call it malicious applied psychology uh, to make people more fearful. So we had the SAGE advisory team, the scientific advisory team that was supposedly giving the government good advice about matters to do with COVID-19 pandemic and alongside them we had the spy b unit which was discussing how to use applied behavioral psychology and it emerged in their march 2020 minutes they were going to use psychology to make people more fearful more anxious of the covid uh, situation uh, deaths etc in order that people would be more compliant with the government's own policies and I find this very, very, a very, very dark and dangerous agenda uh, because clearly we shouldn't trust our own government. They're not moral. They're not truthful. They haven't got our best interests at heart. And yet they are boasting of being able to use applied psychology to change the way that we think and behave. Can, can I ask what your thoughts are on this area and the uh, I'm going to stick on the malicious use of applied psychology uh, to achieve political agendas
1: I, I, I absolutely agree with you they, they, and the UK column I know has been been brilliant on, on exposing the, the, the psychology tricks that they've been using and they have been using uh, all these every trick in the book. Uh, getting uh, people out on their doorsteps, clapping the NHS when they should have been on their doorsteps booing. Um, and, uh, they, they use triptychs. I created uh, a triptych as well um, because that's what they use. That these are psychological tricks. They have created a form of mental illness. And it, it, it's. Uh, I, I worry about um, defining discontent and and unhappiness as mental illness because then it gets treated. People have been throwing around the benzos are back. Uh, We've got to get the benzodiazepines into people and the antidepressants which don't work. The benzodiazepines, most dangerous, most addictive drugs on the planet. Um, The the, um, far more addictive than than heroin, of course, and the the, the antidepressants which don't work. We we have to be careful about causing all the Disappointments and the unhappiness and the discontent, uh, and uh, about um, allowing people to dramatise as mental illness, because I think that's what the government wants as well. We have to be strong and resilient, and uh, ignore the tricks and be aware of the tricks. Like UK column, I've been trying for um, for quite a long time, years, to um, teach people. the the little tricks that governments uh, and people use in order to um, make them fearful. I mean, long COVID is a good example. Long COVID is a little trick which has been very effectively used. Um, One and a half million people off work now because they believe they're suffering from long COVID. There's always been problems with, you've got long flu, but um, uh, now they're blaming long COVID. All the symptoms that people got from the jab have now become the symptoms of long COVID. And of course, all these people can't go to work, which suits the agenda very well, because the agenda is to destroy the economy.
0: I just want to come in on some of the descriptors that you've used. Um, uh, You've talked about the general lunacy. You've talked about increasing control. You've talked about uh, fear. You've talked about divide and, well, ultimately divide and conquer. Um, and you gave Black Lives Matter as, as one of the examples of turning people against each other. And I think it's extremely clear that this is what the government's trying to do. Um, so we've got a sense of breakdown, but at the same time, we can see that there's um, efforts to take greater and greater control of our lives. And as we've just discussed, uh, we've got a psychological attack now coming in where the government The British government in its mind space document 2010 actually boasts of its ability to change the way people think and behave but we're not seeing people thinking and behaving in a way which is making them happier and more comfortable with their fellow man everything to my mind seems to be we see increasing breakdown as a result of the government supplied psychology policies but I want to come back against that setting. I want to come back to the fact that we are seeing similar policies being being enacted in different countries across the world. And for this to happen, we must be dealing with a power base which is able to operate across borders within a, between nation states. This is something going on that's very powerful. Now, you've already mentioned the World Health Organization. And of course, that is, that is an organization which describes itself as a global body. But you've also described the fact that these immensely powerful pharmaceutical companies um, are dealing in billions of dollars, in many cases, more money than some of the uh, GDPs of smaller countries in the world. But the, the pharmaceutical companies are also operating on a world scale. And what has been unique about the COVID-19 pandemic, whatever we believe about it, we'll just say it's happened. This has also happened on a world scale. So for me, the evidence seems to be very clear. We are no longer dealing with malicious policies coming out of our own government. We're actually dealing with political policies which are being developed on a global scale by global bodies and companies would you agree with that or not
1: oh i totally agree with the aim is the aim is to take us towards a world government Uh, i i I actually suspect that they want us to hate our individual governments and then we will accept when, when when they produce the next um global pandemic, which, of course, the World Health Organization wants to take control of every country in the world when or if they decide there's a global pandemic, and they'll get that through, I'm sure. When they, when they get that through, then the world government is only uh, moments away, and we will have ourselves being controlled by Sir Klaus Schwab, who got his knighthood presumably for services to conspiracy and the World Economic Forum and all of the Bilderbergers and so on, and that's who will control us, and uh, as usual, I'm I, I say this in the, in the sincere hope that people don't um, start waving uh, in foil bits of me and saying I, I've gone mad because I don't think I have gone mad I think I can argue that all this is what's happening with a purpose, I think if you look at the history, it takes us directly towards a world government going back to the going back to the 60s um i lorden explained in a book called endgame where i tried to point out that what they're doing is moving as remorselessly bit by bit towards uh, total central control the idea is that we will not control our own lives in any way, either locally, regionally, or nationally, we will be controlled by um, a global government. The EU was always part of that. The EU, one of the reasons why Britain's having a hard time at the moment, um, particularly we've got higher inflation, faster inflation, as whatnot. We have a, a very high um, rate of inflation. We're in a lot of trouble more trouble than anywhere else, and I think that's punishment because we dared to stand up for ourselves and leave the European Union, which, of course, is the first step towards a world government, the the, the, the precepts, the, the, the way the European Union was set up after the war through the coal and steel and the, the rest of it, with, um, people setting it up were not good and kind people. They set it up with a very specific purpose. The the European Union um, now controls uh, everything that's happening in in Europe, of course, on an administrative level. We came out of that, and so we are being punished for that because we have messed up the plan to take the EU um, to the uh, the world, and that will be... the, The only question which is left, which is still up in the air, is just how much China will be part... Of the new world government, um, whether China and, and Russia move together, move closer together, uh, I don't think anybody can give you the answer on that. There's a lot of theories, but the world, the, the, we are definitely heading towards a world government with the EU, and America, and Malaysia uh, all involved in a controlling system, which will be where the um, the, the, the The basic working mechanism will be social credit. That's where we come back to the apps and the the smartphones and the smart meters and all the things which give them control over us. The self-driving cars, the things that they put in your car which enables them to know what you're doing and where you're going, the the cameras everywhere, the uh, input of information on Supermarkets and banks, where you are virtually no longer allowed free access to your money, you have to say why you want to move some money somewhere, why you want to take some money out if it's more than just a few quid. Um, uh, it banks are, uh, really want to get rid of currency, desperately hard, to, pushing hard to get rid of cash. People who uh, don't use cash are contributing to the advance. Towards the Great Reset, as I said right at the beginning, one of the there were three things that I, I thought right back in February March 2020. One, get rid of the old people. Two, get rid of cash. Three, bring in compulsory vaccination. Well, you tell me what I got wrong there, because uh, I think that and uh, now I think getting rid of cash is. The, is, is going to lead us faster than anything down the path towards total control, great reset, new new world order, social credit. But social credit is the menace. Social credit, you've only got to look to see what is happening in China, where people are already beginning complaining about the fact that they no longer have any control on their lives. If you don't have the right number of children... Then you will lose points. You start off with so many points in your social credit. If you don't have the right number of children, if you say something wrong, if you don't treat your parents well, if you don't if you don't pick up your litter, if you go overdrawn, if you don't pay your bills on time, which is not going to be a problem in the future because they'll be taking the money out of your account anyway, whether you like it or not. Uh, all of these things are part of social credit uh, rules and the new restrictions that are coming in all around the world are, are terrifying um, we have rules which now make it almost impossible to tell jokes those sort of rules are coming in are coming in all around the world if you tell jokes then you might upset someone and you aren't allowed to upset someone if you uh, um, if you go to speak at a university uh, I haven't given a, a, a lecture for heaven knows how many years. The last time I was invited to give a speech to NHS personnel, some years ago, I was hired, I was given a contract to give a speech to NHS personnel and at the last minute I was, well, please don't go, we'll pay you anyway, but don't go because we aren't allowed to have you. This was to speak to the NHS personnel about drug side effects, on which I think I've probably written more than anybody else on the planet they said, you know, you mustn't come. We don't want you to come and speak about drug side effects to NHS personnel because there's been an objection. And I said, well, have you got someone else to speak in my place? And they said, oh, yes, we've got somebody from the pharmaceutical industry. That was some years ago. And that's how it works. The pharmaceutical industry owns the medical profession. The pharmaceutical industry owns the NHS. The NHS pays a ridiculous amounts of money for the, a lot of the rubbish that they buy. The COVID jabs are just part of that. The companies made billions; they made billions, and they, um, they, they are going to continue to make billions because, of course, uh, even if they stop giving COVID this this summer, of course, um, I can't remember what the age groups are. I'm sure the Guardian's got it on their website. But if you if you want, uh, you, you have to um, you have to have your COVID jab, you have to have your flu jab. Uh, children now have 40, 50, 60 different jabs in just a few months old, they're uh, being given uh, jabs. Uh, if you ask, well, what tests been done to see whether all these jabs are safe when they're all given together? Oh, well, we don't do that sort of test. We yeah. test the individual drugs. And then we put in all these drugs into a growing immune system, and then we get surprised at the number of people who suddenly have asthma or the number of people who suddenly have autism. And I know you're not allowed to say that, but isn't it an amazing coincidence that if you look at the charts of people who have, um, the number of children who've been vaccinated with one thing or another, they match almost exactly. And all of those diseases like polio and whooping cough and smallpox, were not eradicated by vaccines. If you look at the facts, if you look at the figures, you'll see that there are, that the vaccines were usually brought in long after the improvement. It was the massive improvement. And that's the other. That's the other big lie: is that doctors and drug companies have improved life expectancy in the last um, century. They haven't.
0: If I may, if I come in here and say that that when we see all of this happening, it it can only be described as an attack on mankind, and clearly the agenda is not is is i'll I'll bring in they i hope we're going to be able to speak again and talk about who they might be but let's use that expression they clearly don't want healthy happy human beings and of course if you can get at the children um, then you can reduce that problem so i i i see constantly the attack on children as being the ability to influence um, the world in future years, because if you can control the children, if you can get rid of children, you're going to get rid of a an adult population problem. That's a pretty heavy statement. Um, Debbie, just to switch back to you, because I think we're coming to, to the end of our time. Um, what would you say to the audience? We've covered some pretty, well, a lot of interesting, but we've covered some pretty heavy subjects here. What would you say to the audience to get them on to uh yes but what can we do about all this what would you say
2: well i would certainly say to everyone to do their own research i mean you know we we we're all saying the same but slightly different in different ways and we're giving people signposts as to who is responsible And who should be made accountable? And, and, you know, many people criticise me and say, well, you know, writing a letter isn't going to help. Writing an email isn't going to help. What we need to do is X, Y and Z. But writing doesn't get you anywhere. But actually, you know, I would beg to differ on that. Because I think if every single person wrote to the people accountable, like Professor Chris Whitty, June Rain and and you know just as a slight little tiny gentle reminder to everyone clicking into the MHRA board meetings the NHS executive board meetings they need to know that we're watching them that we're holding them accountable we need to stand firm question everything not listen to the BBC you know Question everything is what I would say and keep seeding people very, very gently and to embrace people that might just be waking up and suddenly all of this is is becoming real to them.
0: So, Dr Vernon Coleman, I'm going to say with an eye on the clock, um, I'm going to encourage people obviously to go to your uh, website, which if I remember correctly is vernoncoleman.com. Uh, huge amount of information there. And of course, you've got many, um, you've got uh, your own videos that you've produced. Debbie's uh, talking about a key film. Uh, but really the same question to you to end on, what would you like to say to, to our audience today to, uh, how do we describe it? Boy them up and get them to do something instead of sitting and worrying about what they see happening around them.
1: We can, we can, we can win this. We're in, it's a war. We are fighting a war against our own government, and we can win it. But we have to be, um, we have to fight the lies, and we have to um, avoid their little tricks. We have to be aware of all their little tricks. Don't have apps. Don't have a smart meter. If you've got one, get rid of it. Don't have apps on your smartphone. Um, I use a 2G phone. And which doesn't have apps on it, and has the advantage that they can't cut off 2G because the smart meters run on 2G as well. um, Don't uh, be afraid to talk to people and try to persuade people to listen to programs like this, even if they think, if they're skeptical, at the end of it say, okay, go and check out everything that you've heard. Pick out some facts that have been shared And check them out. Look at them. And don't listen to mainstream media because mainstream media will deny everything. The BBC will deny everything uh, because they're a a propaganda machine, an agency of misinformation and disinformation. Don't listen to the mainstream media. You have to do your own research. You have to be skeptical. You have to know how to read uh, scientific papers and so on, which is... um, I have an advantage because I've been reading scientific papers and looking for the flaws in them for half a century. But people should do that. They should look at all of these things. They should be aware that this is not a game. This is war. And although it may not seem as if it's war, it is. And if you want to survive, if you want your children and your grandchildren to have freedom and to have humanity and to have any chance to live a life where they choose what's private, they choose uh, what to do, they choose how to live their lives, um, obviously legally and so on, in in terms of old-fashioned right and wrong, but they have rights which um, they can enjoy. If you want that for the future, then you have to act now, because time is running out very fast, very, very fast. We have a matter of months, not years, before it will be too late. I think people just have to ask questions do what debbie said exactly spread and share information and listen to programs um, and and ask yourself i'll leave you with one thing right for, before before the last two and a half years came up i used to make a lot of television programs and a lot of radio programs and I a lot of interviews the last two and a half years Everybody has refused to interview me on mainstream media. No mainstream media will interview me. No mainstream papers, radio or television. I have thrown out all sorts of challenges to the other side. They won't. The BBC has stated that it will not have anybody on any of its its programs who questions vaccination in any way. Ask yourself this. Why, if they're right, and I'm so mad and wrong, why won't they debate with me in public, live, and destroy everything that I'm saying? And to answer my question myself, it's because they can't. They know that if they let people like me onto mainstream media, they are lost. You will lose. So there's something else you can do. Write to the BBC and say, why don't you get Dr. Coleman or somebody else that... Um, might be interesting to talk with, say, one of the media television doctors. We could discuss things and discuss the COVID jabs and the whole um, alleged pandemic. Why ask them that question? Why won't they ever debate in public on these issues? Is it because they're frightened? Is it because they know they're wrong and they're lying and they'll lose? That's what I think the answer is.
0: Dr Vernon Coleman, a really excellent end to our interview today. So thank you very much for doing that. I think it's a very powerful point. Uh, They can't and they are frightened. And what that really says is that this big, powerful world government agenda that we are fighting is actually terrified of the individual. And I think a lot of people need to remember this. It's simply getting enough people to stand up and fight back together Uh, that we need to do. Uh, Vernon, thank you very, very much for joining us. It's been really excellent.
1: Lovely to talk to you both. Thank you very much for having me
2: on the programme, Brian.